Welcome to Cybercast, decoding today's cyber issues. I'm your host, Kate Macri. Federal agencies have been prime targets for cyber criminals during the COVID-19 pandemic. Sensitive health data during a health crisis are ripe pickings for cyber thieves seeking ransom. For agencies like the Department of Health and Human Services and Veterans Affairs, cybersecurity is more important than ever to keep public health programs running. HHS OIG is no different. CIO Gerald Karin, who joined HHS OIG in May, zeroed in on zero trust as the key to strong cybersecurity before the onset of the pandemic. As HHS OIG's new CIO, Karin's Zero Trust Initiative is now an imperative. Before joining HHS OIG, Karin served 18 years in IT at the Department of State. His last role was as Director of Enterprise Network Management. In an interview with government CIO Media and Research, Karin discussed his cyber priorities as CIO, how the pandemic taught HHS OIG the art of the possible, and why technology isn't as important to cybersecurity as methodology. Ever since President Joe Biden signed the executive order on improving the nation's cybersecurity, zero trust has been the focal point for federal cyber discussions. Being a big zero trust advocate for years now, where everybody seems to be starting to catch up. It's like, yeah, this is kind of important. And the EO, you know, stressing it, it, it fits very well with my security strategy because it's a path that I'm already, you know, going down. I have an architecture, the framework concepts, and now we're going through and inventorying what capabilities I might already have in some of the functional areas and the conceptual areas that I want to, that I want to achieve. So we're very much looking at our maturity model in these in those areas and those functionalities that we want to implement. It is a journey. It's not something that it's a flip of the switch or you're going to go get one tool off the shelf and say you have zero trust. Many vendors now are, you know, latching on to the EO as well as as you know, promoting that they do zero trust. Well, they're all right, but they're all I say they're all right, they're all wrong because yeah, they do zero trust but not all of it. So there's a, there's a lot of noise. So sifting through that noise is, is very important. I think um, the National Cybersecurity Center of Excellence at NIST is, is doing a project. We're also doing some projects with the, the nonprofit, with some of the vendors. And so I think it's very important to understand, to control the conversation, understand what Zero Trust is, what it is you need to be able to do, understand the concepts of it, the architecture of it, and develop that playbook. Which, which is what we're doing. Who do, we, who do we need? The players on the field, the players on the sideline, who's the coaching, the project, you know, like the project managers, the, man, the middle management, those folks. And then who's in the executive uh, suite, you know, the folks like, you know, highest executives, uh, you know, make sure we got the right resources, the money, the priority that this needs to get done and things like that. So it, it aligns very well. So I was happy to see it come. I think it puts the emphasis uh, for the federal government in the right direction. Like I said, there's a big difference between compliance and effectiveness. Like I always use the example 800-53 says you need to have authentication for your system. Well, we, I can do username and password and that is compliant, but we know from past exploits that it's not effective. But something like a PIV card, YubiKeys, those kind of things where, where it's true multi-factor, 
are more effective than just like username and password. So that that effectiveness and and now the challenge will be understanding how to measure effectiveness. So so I think we're going to see some good changes as a result. And I think everybody driving in the right direction and it puts the emphasis uh, not just to the IT guys, but the complete agency that this is important. So very happy to see it. And for me, it aligns well with what we want to do. Karin said he likes to think about zero trust in four categories. I kind of put in things in four categories. So like data, we'll have a bunch of functional areas like data loss prevention, data encryption, data segmentation, and you know, identity will have authentication, access, provisioning, you know, all kinds of all kinds of things and endpoints and, and network. And you know, so they all have these functional areas. So what I'm doing is I have four categories that we're looking at all these different functional areas that I've identified that are going to contribute to zero trust. So it's, we have it, we're doing it. All right. So that might line up with like, let's say data encryption. Okay. We have, we have something, we're doing it. Then it's the other one would be, we have it, but we're not doing it yet, but we have plans and, you know, like identity management, there's some things that we want to do to improve identity management. All right. We have the tool, but we have plans to do it, but we haven't really started it yet because we've been doing other things. And then it's like, we have it. We don't have any plans at all. We just, but it could contribute to the, to the overall. And then the, the fourth is, this is a gap. This is something that we have to fill. We got to find something. We don't have anything on hand. So then what we do is, all right, now that we know what we have, whether we're doing something with it or not, how, how mature are we in the concept of what we want to do to achieve zero trust? So we'll assess our maturity level. And then what we'll do is overall, we'll prioritize. What do we need to do first? So like I got some foundational things that we're doing. You know, we're doing a lot of integration into the scene to get the data start telemetry coming in. Because as you can imagine, we have to have a lot of the telemetry in order to make the decisions based off all these different factors that we have to assess. Getting a good CMDB going so I know what I do own and what I'm responsible for and what's within my control. So we're, we're working on populating a, a true CMDB as well. So there's a, that's kind of the approach we're taking right now. We're very much in the early stages because I'm new uh, in my position. I, I officially started there in May. So been introducing this, getting a lot of the education going, which I still find is a challenge as I talk to others within the industry and, and different agencies, uh, getting a good understanding of what the total landscape of Zero Trust, that it is an architecture, because this is an integration effort. Like I said, there's no one tool off the shelf. You're going to be integrating tools, you know, so I kind of have it segmented like, all right, network, here's all the functional areas. All right, now I can projectize within network, you know, with the network guys. But then I'm going to have a program manager that's going to make sure that, you know, the network guys are doing their thing, the identity guys are doing their thing. But, you know, we're building bridges from two sides of the river. We got to make sure that everything works at the end of the day. So we'll have a program manager making sure all that's doing. But like I said, right now, we're kind of doing that inventory and that maturity assessment so that we can really prioritize. We do have a few foundational things we're doing on the immediate, but then we'll start prioritizing the next steps. And it will be a roadmap. You know, this is not a, a one-year effort. This is a multi-year effort. Some of the things that we want to do are probably aspirational, but, you know, we have goals to achieve that zero trust, you know, and I'd rather be 10% towards getting towards zero trust than be zero. So 
that's kind of the philosophy I have in understanding that it is a program with multiple projects. It's not just one program or one tool that's going to solve, solve it. Zero Trust is about architectures and strategies, not specific products. For Karin, that means sifting through a multitude of vendors advertising themselves as one-stop shops for Zero Trust. There's no silver bullet for Zero Trust, just a growth mindset. There's no silver bullet. Uh, nobody has that one tool you get off the shelf, Koch product that is going to do. come in, you implement, you implement it, you deploy it, and turn the switch on. And I have Zero Trust. Zero Trust is an architecture. So when I say that, it's like I'm an inside out when I explain this. So I start with the data because that's what we're trying to protect at the end of the day. All right. So, you know, we're used to that Tootsie Roll Pop kind of concept of, of protection of our networks where we have the hard outer shell and the soft GUI center. Right. Whereas in zero trust, we're really trusting nobody, whether you're an insider or an outsider. So you move in the controls and some of those protections closer to the data because all data is not created equal. So understanding, all right, starting with how is your data categorized? Is it categorized correctly? Where's my high data, my medium data, where's my low data? Where's that flowing? And then how is it being protected when it's in uh, static or in motion? You know, how we're encrypting it, how are we segmenting it? Um, are some concepts, the network segmentation, data segmentation, and then we move back. All right, what is facilitating access to the data? It's usually an application or browser-based. All right, how are we putting protections around that application or what's facilitating access? And usually those things are on a device. You know, is it a fully managed device? Is it a bring your own device kind of concept? And then what types of users and how are those users authenticating? Are they using username and password? Are they using... So there's a lot of factors to take in before you allow. So like a cleared government employee versus a contractor, different level of risk, a fully managed laptop versus a BYOD device, different level of risk, username, a password, using a PIV card or a CAT card, different level of risk. All right, so those factors, now I'm going to determine what you can access. You know, you're trying to access that high data. Well, you're using a BYOD device. You're coming from a network at the local coffee shop, or, you know, raw internet Wi-Fi network that I can't see or manage, but you are a clear government employee. So yeah, all right. Uh, I trust you, but you're using username and password, which is kind of weak. I'm probably not going to let you get to the medical data, but I'll, you know, maybe you can get to the the cafeteria schedule so you can find out when, you know, they're serving turkey on what day, but you're not going to get any further than that. But it come, all comes down to protecting the data at the end of the day. When HHS OIG shifted to remote work last year, they had to accelerate risk assessments in order to launch cloud applications. Now Karin is going back through to improve the security of applications that may have been approved only for compliance purposes. You know, we had to get the mission going, right? And we did the best to put the right security in place to enable that. But it's always good to go back and assess. All right, we did this very quick. You know, did we miss anything? You know, could, is there some other things that we could do to make this even better or more secure? You know, do we have the right monitoring in place? Software supply chain risk management has been another hot news topic ever since FireEye discovered the SolarWinds breach in December 2020. As federal agencies continue to migrate IT operations to the cloud and adopt software-as-a-service solutions, Karin warned his fellow feds against relying too much on FedRAMP. 
you know, there's, I, I like to say, even with a SaaS, you know, people that are new in the SaaS environment, not to say, you know, just a, like an O365, and this is only an example, but, you know, yeah, okay, they're fed ramped, but it's still your data and you you have a responsibility to configure that even though it's SaaS and the vendor does a great bit of it, you still have that little bit that you have to be responsible for. Uh, your condi the conditional access policies that you want to set and know how to monitor because at the end of the day, it is your data. They're not monitoring your data necessarily. They're doing overall monitoring of their O365 environment, but you still have to monitor and protect your data and do the right configurations because that FedRAMP's all for naught if you don't put the right configurations in place yourself that you're responsible for. So I, it's very important to understand those things. And I think some people had a learning curve on that most definitely. But so it's, it's always good. To, I would always say, you know, you may have put those things in place, but definitely reassess how you went about it because it was done in a fast fashion and, and make sure you get proper monitoring in place. Make sure you get the proper telemetry in place, which is going to be very important moving towards zero trust anyways. And, you know, you understand, you know, your policies, your conditional access policies, especially in the cloud and things, but yeah, it was a 10 year jump. And I think the cyber guys, cause like I said, it was very mission focused to get people up and running and mission focused. And I think in some cases it's probably, um, you know, assumption in some places that the cybersecurity had to catch up in a way. So I, I think that's, there's still a little bit of catching up to do, but I think, you know, everybody's getting on board with the zero trust and the executive orders really pushing the priority of improving our nation security, which is the title of the EO. So I think it's, it's a step in the right direction, but I think there's some, Still some a lot of work to be done. As far as cyber priorities go, Karin said he wants to be an enabler, someone who listens to customer needs and fully implements zero trust concepts. You know, I have to balance as a CIO, I have to balance between, you know, the needs of, of my users to, to meet their missions because um, I look at myself as an enabler, my customer is that drives the mission. So definitely you know, I need to listen to what my customers' needs are and do my best to provide that as well as do it securely. So there's that balance as a CIO that you have. But as far as cybersecurity, like I said, we're going full bore into doing zero trust. So this next year, we'll be doing those things that I call kind of the foundation that we need to do. You know, there's some things in identity management, uh, as I said, the integration to SIEM so we can have that telemetry to make decisions off. You know, creating that CMDB, that probably be the bulk of the work that I'm anticipating that we'll be doing this fiscal year. And then, like I said, we're doing that inventory and we'll do that prioritization and draw that multi-year roadmap to get to the ultimate nirvana of a complete zero trust. So we'll have already slated out once these things are done. All right, these are the next things we're picking up and that will go in, you know, probably into multiple years, not just two, maybe three, possibly, but we'll be incrementally getting our our way to that zero trust. And like I said, you know, if I'm 10% there, that's better than zero. So a lot, there's going to be a lot of communication because it's going to change things for our users, um, our system owners, how they, you know, build their systems, how they're controlling their data, making sure that they're categorizing their data properly, understand this is the new architecture. So here's the governance. If you want to be on this network that you're going to have to comply to and how you're going to have to segment data 
things like that. How are we going to control the flow of that data? So there will be a lot of education with even more people outside of the immediate IT folks, you know, the business owners, the data owners, that's not necessarily always the IT people. Those are the actual people that have the mission. So we'll have to communicate with them. So definitely getting that, that team mentality and on, getting them on board and understanding why it's important, how it affects them and how they can contribute is going to be really important this come, starting now in the immediate because we'll do some things in the IT round that is totally within our control to do, but at some point it's going to start affecting outside of our IT realm. So, you know, our user base, our, our system owners, our data owners, our business owners. So we'll start having to communicate with them and get them an understanding as well as what we're doing and how, it, what it means to them and how, how they contribute. So that's the big emphasis, I think, in the immediate years. And we'll continue, like I said, we'll have a roadmap. And so once, once A is done, then we pick up on B and C and D and we'll keep going. Even though the pandemic upended life as we know it, Karin sees a wealth of positives from an IT perspective. For one, fully remote work allows him to hire whoever he wants. It actually taught us, you know, the art of the possible. You know, I've got, you know, when I, when I hire now, I got, I, I got a bigger pool because we're allowing for remote work. I got a bigger pool of people I can select from not just from inside the beltway. So, you know, there's some really smart people outside the beltway as well that, you know, could work in cyber or, or other things. And, and I think definitely it's, um, it's a great, in that aspect, it's great. But the pandemic, you know, really, you know, opened our eyes and in a way, and, you know, we learned like, yeah, the art of the possible, these things that we've wanted to do, this is possible now. You know, there's one, the one concept is, you know, with all the remote work is, you know, we have one of the things I, I, that frustrates me or not frustrates is not the proper term, but you know, one of the things is I don't like the idea of Kate is working from home and in order to access or go to the SAS cloud, you know, Kate has to get on her managed laptop and create a VPN that comes back to an on premise center just back out to the cloud where Kate, when Kate already has a perfectly good internet connection and why do I have to do this boomerang effect or, or this hairpin turning to come back to an on-premise thing that I manage just to go back out. And this kind of goes back to the tick 3.0 with the flexibility tick 3.0. There's services out there that instead of Kate doing this boomerang to on-prem just to go back out to the internet that you can go straight to your destination, but go through some telemetry on your way there, but get a more direct path. And I still get all the security telemetry that I need to monitor you and, and make sure that our data is protected and you go more straight to the cloud. And what is that bringing? That's hopefully bringing better performance as well, because I'm not bringing you back from one place through a, you know, a VPN just to go back someplace else. So there, there's some, there's some possibilities that I think it's, it's allowing us to further look at and take advantage of, you know, of, like I said, you know, there's things there that, you know, we probably would have liked to do, or it's like, oh, that will never allow for that, that, no, huh, <laughs> if we want to continue remote work and be in this new normal, we're going to have to allow for that, and we're going to have to figure out how to do it securely. So I think in that sense, that's some of the, 
you know, just <laughs> hard to say, but you know, some of the good that came out of the pandemic, it's like we we were learning that the art of the possible is possible and some of the things that we would have never thought we'd be doing, you know, and this soon. As the fourth wave of COVID-19 crests over the U.S., protecting critical public health institutions, their data, and their critical functions is vital. Listen to the Cybercast recap of Government CIO Media and Research's Cyberscape Healthcare Virtual Event in June, and subscribe to HealthCast for the latest interviews with federal health IT leaders. Every other news headline is about federal cybersecurity or the latest hack. To get deep analysis and insider perspectives on what's trending in federal cybersecurity, subscribe to Cybercast and visit our website at governmentciomedia.com. I'm your host, Kate Macri. Thank you for listening. Cybercast is a production of Government CIO Media and Research. For more podcasts, head to governmentcio.com slash podcasts. If you're interested in sponsoring a podcast, contact us at sponsor at governmentcio.com. 